I've been incredibly challenged by God's Word as we've considered the significance and the importance of love. That love is, as we talked about two weeks ago, love is the greatest command. That to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And the second, like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, this is the greatest command. So we talked about that, and we talked about what does that mean to love your neighbor? That it means that you be a neighbor to whom? Everybody. You be a neighbor to everyone, to your brothers and sisters, to your neighbors, to your enemies. Love everyone. That this loving God and loving neighbor is the greatest command. And then we talked about last week that love is the fulfilling of the law. That this is the life to which Jesus has called his people. Jesus has called his people to a radically different countercultural community where we break the cycles of hate and violence with love and peace. Where we are the kind of people who love our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, and even our, who? Enemies. This is the life to which we've been called. This is the fulfilling of the law. This is how you treat people. How do you treat people that are hard to get along with? You love them. How do you treat your spouse? You love them. Even when they they don't do everything they're supposed to, even when they're wrong, you you love them. I I know you're easy to get along with, and I I know that you're you're just a joy and a a happiness to be around, but other people sometimes are kind of hard to, to love, right? This is hard, but this is what we've been called to. This is the greatest command. This is the fulfilling of the law. Love your brothers and sisters. Love your Lord, love your neighbor, love your enemy. I don't know about you, but my heart's been crying out this month, how? How do I do that? I want to be more loving. I want to be more patient and kind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't rude, it isn't self. It doesn't seek its own. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I want that, don't you? I want to be more of that. I want to be more patient and more kind. I want to be less rude. I want to keep less record of wrongs. But how? How do I become that kind of loving person where I love God more? And, and, and sometimes we feel like that's the easy part, right? Because God is so lovable. And sometimes my neighbor isn't so lovable. Sometimes your family isn't so lovable. Sometimes your enemies always aren't so lovable. How? How, how do I be patient and kind? How, how do I keep from being rude? How do I keep from keeping a record of wrongs? How do I love? How do I become a more loving person? Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? I know I need to know the answer to that. I need to know how do I become this? If this is the greatest commandment, if this is the fulfilling of the law, if this is the life to which we've been called to love our brethren and our neighbors and our enemies, how do I become that person? How do I become that person? This morning we're going to look at one verse. I know you think that means you're going to go to lunch early, but you're not. I got, I got a lot to say about one verse. First Timothy chapter one and verse five. First Timothy one five. So if you got your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. It's only one verse, or you can look it up. I don't care. 
But Paul is writing to a young preacher, his protege, his son in the faith, and he's telling him, this is why I sent you to work with the church in Ephesus. This is what I want you to accomplish while you're there. There were false teachers. There was all kinds of things that Timothy needed to address and preach about and talk about. But in this one verse, I think we're going to find the answer to that question that my heart is longing to hear. And I hope your heart is longing to hear, how do I become better at loving people? Okay, listen to what Paul says to young Timothy. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, it'd be easy if you're just reading through the letter to just kind of skim over this verse, right? I mean, it's right there in the introduction. You're just not even getting to the good stuff yet, you think. But in this verse, I think that we'll find the answer to this is how you become more loving. And this is why love is so incredibly important. Look at what he says. Let's kind of walk through that. He says, first, the aim of our charge. That word aim there is telos. That's the Greek word aim. Our goal. Telos means the thing that you're pointing at. The thing that you're striving towards. The end goal. The purpose. The the, the end zone, to use a football analogy. My boy's like baseball, and so it'd be home plate. This is, this is what you're going for. This is what you're striving for. This is the purpose. This is what it's all about. This is the point. This is the goal. This is what we're aiming at. The goal of what? The aim of what? The goal of our charge. Paul says, the telos of our charge, the goal of our charge. What's a charge? It's what you're told to do. It's your mission. Whose mission? Well, Paul's mission that Jesus sent him on to go into the world and preach the gospel, especially to the Gentiles. And then the mission, the charge that Paul gave to Timothy and the charge that Timothy is giving to the church, the instructions of the gospel, the teaching of Christianity. So do you see what Paul is saying? He said the the whole point, the whole purpose, the whole telos, the whole end goal, the point of everything that we're doing, the goal of our charge. This is this is what I charged you with. This is the purpose of your mission. This is the purpose of my mission. This is the purpose of the mission of the church in Ephesus. This is the purpose, the mission for all of Jesus' people. Is what? The telos, the goal of our charge is what, church? Love. The goal of our charge is love. Do you see what he's saying? The purpose of Christian teaching is love. The goal of Christian teaching is love. The aim of Christian teaching is love. The telos of Christian teaching is love. I hope we're writing this down, right? The goal of Christian teaching is love. I mean, that's, that's huge, isn't it? That Paul is saying to Timothy, the whole point, what you're trying to accomplish in Ephesus is this, to create a community of what? Love. A community that loves the Lord, their God, with all their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength, and a community that loves each other, a community that loves their neighbor, a community that loves their enemy. When their enemy's hungry, they feed them. 
When their enemy's thirsty, they give them something to drink. They, they don't, they don't return curses for curses. When somebody curses them, they bless them in return. When somebody harms them, they help them in return. They don't overcome evil with more evil. They overcome evil with good. This is the telos of why I've sent you to Ephesus, Timothy. This is the purpose of your mission. This is the end goal of your mission. This is the end goal of my mission. This is the end goal of Christian teaching. It's love. To create a community of love. That's the goal. A community that loves the Lord with everything they are. A community that loves each other. A community that loves their neighbor. A community that loves their enemy. But what is it not? Well, it's not, verse 4, it's not to create a community of speculation. It's not to create a community of philosophers who sit around and speculate about stuff all the time. It'd be easy to kind of get confused and forget what the telos is, right? What's the purpose? What's the goal? What are we aiming at? How are you going to play a game if you don't know the goal of it, right? How are you going to play football if you don't know you're supposed to run towards the end zone? How are you going to play baseball if you don't know you're supposed to run around the bases and come back to home? How are you going to run a race if you don't know where the finish line is? How are you going to do anything if you don't know what you're supposed to be accomplishing? Here's what you're supposed to be accomplishing, Timothy. Create a community of love. Not a community of speculation. Not a community of empty talk, verse 6. Not a community of so-called legal experts, verses 8 through 11. The goal, the telos of your charge and my charge... The charge of all Christian teaching is love. If we're not careful, church, we're going to lose sight of that, aren't we? It's easy to forget what's the point. What's the point of all of our singing? What's the point of all of our teaching? What's the point of our Bible classes? What's the point of our sermons? Why am I standing here? Why are you here? Why are we doing what we're doing? The telos of our charge. The telos, the the goal, the purpose, the point, the finish line of my charge and why I'm here at McDermott Road and why you should be here, why we're doing what we're doing is love, is that we might create a community of love. That's what Timothy was supposed to be doing in Ephesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. That we don't create a community of speculators, a community of empty talkers, a community of legal experts, but that we create a community that loves the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, loves our neighbor as ourself, and loves our enemy. So it doesn't matter if you agree with somebody or you disagree with somebody. It doesn't matter if you're like them or you dislike them. It doesn't matter if they dislike you. What matters is that you keep your eye on what it is we're supposed to be accomplishing. You remember the telos. You remember the end goal, the purpose of Christian teaching, is love. See, the Pharisees forgot that, didn't they? They forgot what God was trying to accomplish with the people of Israel. They forgot that they were supposed to be the light of the world and they were supposed to be the salt of the earth. They had lost their saltiness. They had had a bushel put over them because they weren't remembering what was most important. Oh yeah, they would they would tie their garden herbs, right? I got my garden herbs, I'm going to give 10% to God. And they didn't love their neighbor. They didn't show mercy. They didn't care about justice. 
And Jesus says, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe your garden herbs. What I'm saying is that this is more important. That love and mercy is more important. This is what God is trying to accomplish in you and with you. This is the telos. Sadly, when Jesus talked to the church at Ephesus, the book of Revelation, you remember? This is one of the seven churches that he addresses. And he says, listen, yeah, you got the whole false teacher thing under control. You hate all the false teaching. That's good. I'm glad you hate the false teaching. I hate the false teaching too. But guess what? You lost the love you had at first. Love is the goal of our charge. It is the purpose of Christian teaching. And we cannot lose sight of that, church. But but you say, well, Wes, you still haven't answered the question, right? What was the question? The question is, how? We know that, that love is the greatest command. We know that it's the fulfilling of the law. We know now know that it's the goal of all Christian teaching. But how? How do I become a person who loves? Look at what Paul says. He says, this love that is the telos of your charge, the telos of our charge, the end goal of our charge, it issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, love, the kind of love that you're supposed to have for brother, sister, neighbor, enemy. It comes from a pure heart. It comes from a good conscience. It comes from a sincere faith. So, if you're not loving the way you're supposed to be loving, like I... I'm often not loving the way I'm supposed to be loving, then it goes to show that there's something wrong with my pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Might have, might we summarize those? Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, and say conversion, right? That's what it is to be converted, right? To be changed by Jesus. That Jesus gives us a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so we might say, love is the result of conversion, right? Love issues from a converted person. A converted person who is converted to Jesus loves. And isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't Jesus say, look, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples, because you know the Bible forward and backwards, and you can quote a hundred verses, right? Is that what he said? No, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. That's good. You should be able to know the Bible backwards and forward, but that's not what he said. He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples because you're an expert in the Bible. He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples because you show up every Sunday, every Wednesday. You, you, you know all the answers. You do all the right things. I'm, again, not saying those things aren't important. He said, listen, listen, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Love is the result of conversion. Isn't that what John says in 1 John? He says, listen, don't, don't say you love God while you hate your brother. You've seen your brother and you've never seen God. How is it that you could say, I love God, but you hate your brother who you've seen? He's right in front of you and you haven't seen God. If you love God, if you love Jesus, then you will love others. Love is the result of Conversion, love is the result of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's walk through those individually for just a minute. 
A pure heart. Let's think about that for a second. What does that mean? Love issues from a pure heart. Well, what's the opposite? Well, we know what a heart is, right? We know what heart represents, that that's about our desires and what we want, what we're longing for. Pure. What does that mean? What's the opposite of that? Pure means to be without contamination, right? So if I'm not loving the way that I'm supposed to be loving, one of the problems might be that my heart, my desires, my wants, what I'm seeking after, what I'm longing for, is not pure. It's contaminated. And there's all kinds of things, as we read through the Bible, there's all kinds of things that can contaminate our heart, that can contaminate our desires. And isn't this what James says in James chapter 4 and verse 1? He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? One of my problems when I don't love my wife the way I'm supposed to, or my kids the way I'm supposed to, or my neighbor the way I'm supposed to, or my enemy the way I'm supposed to, is that my motives, my heart, has been contaminated. And again, we could talk about all kinds of things. We could spend a whole month just on purity of heart, talk about all the things that might contaminate our heart. But I would venture to say one of the greatest contaminations of our heart is pride. Isn't it? Isn't it pride? Doesn't pride keep us from loving people the way we ought to love people? I mean, look around our world. Can we just, can we do that for just a second? Can we look around our world? Can we look inside of our homes? What's that old country song? You know, it's my belief pride is the chief cause in the decline in the number of husbands and wives. Isn't that true? Pride contaminates our heart. And when we're proud, and somebody says something we don't like, somebody insults us, somebody bruises our ego, what do we do? We don't respond with love. We respond impatiently and unkindly. We respond rudely. Why? It it, it isn't because of them. It's because of us. And it's not just that we just need to learn how to watch our mouth. We do need to learn how to watch our mouth. But it's a problem inside. So the things you say and the things you do, they're just symptoms of the problem. The problem is a contamination of the heart. My problem is a contamination of the heart. My problem is that pride, self-pride, national pride, whatever the case may be, it contaminates my heart. And when somebody bruises my national ego or my personal ego, I lash out unkindly and unlovingly. Can we see that? Can we see that? Can we admit that? It takes humility to say, God, my problem is I don't have a pure heart. I need conversion. I need you to give me a pure heart, oh God. I need you to change my heart. I need you to rip out the pride that I have in my heart because that is causing me to not be the person you've called me to be. Love issues from, one, a pure heart, two, a good conscience. What does that mean? It's a good conscience. What's the opposite of a good conscience? Guilt, shame. I think about the story of Cain and Abel. You know, and Cain and Abel both offer sacrifices to God, and God says to the the boys, the brothers, He says, "Listen, Abel, I, I like what you have to give me. Cain, nope, I don't. I don't look favorably at that. No thanks. That's not what I want." 
And Cain could say, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord. I blew it. I messed up. But he allowed his shame and his guilt to bubble up into anger, bitterness, rage, and even murder. And isn't that what we do? When we have shame and we have guilt, we try all kinds of ways to cover up our shame and our guilt. We try all kinds of ways to justify ourselves. We blame other people. We say, no, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And we could just easily say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Well, you see, when, when Jesus, through his blood, cleanses our sins, then we can walk through life with a good conscience. That's what the sacrifice of Jesus does, Hebrews says, is it cleanses our conscience from dead works of sin. That's what he's done for us. And then he teaches us how to walk and how to live our lives. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how good, how well we would love people if we walk through life with a pure heart, wanting and desiring only the things that are good and right, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we walk through life with a good conscience. No more shame. No more guilt. Why? Because we're forgiven. That means we don't have to be defensive. That means we don't have to stick up for ourselves. That means we don't have to worry about a bruised ego. No more pride. No more shame. No more guilt. Only forgiveness and mercy and grace and a good conscience. Paul says this is where love comes from. Love that is the telos of Christian teaching comes from a pure heart and a good conscience. And three, a sincere faith. Sincere. As opposed to what? Hypocrisy, right? I mean, it's easy to be a hypocrite, isn't it? It's easy to be a hypocrite. It's easy to put on a show. And I'll tell you, being a hypocrite, and I've got some experience being a hypocrite, you can fake all kinds of things, right? You can fake religious piety. You can, oh, I'm, I'm very religious. I love God, all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Now, you can fake all kinds of things, but you can't fake love. Not when love is hard. Not when people hurt you or insult you. Not when people are difficult to get along with. You can't fake it anymore. Love issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. A faith that really is totally committed to Jesus. It says, I... I love you more than I love anything else. I trust you. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear because my faith is in you. Listen, church, if our hearts, and we're all a work in progress, aren't we? It begins when we're baptized into Jesus. And as we go through this life, we're continually, hopefully, for trying, converted, so that our heart becomes more pure, so that our conscience becomes more clear so that our faith becomes more sincere. Where there's no more fear, there's no more shame, there's no more guilt, there's no more hypocrisy, there's no more disloyalty. And can you imagine how well we would love? How well we would love our friends, our family, our neighbors, our enemies, the people that vote like us and the people that don't vote like us, the people that look like us and the people that don't look like us, People that make the same kind of decisions we make and the people that don't make the same kind of decisions that we make, we can only love when we are converted. That's what I want us to walk away with this morning. That love 
is the result of conversion. Change me, Lord. I read a story just this morning, something that happened many, many years ago. But this man had spent four years in, in the penitentiary. And when he got out, he abused drugs and alcohol. In fact, one morning he woke up in the gutter and the doctor treated him. And he said, listen, you're not going to live much longer. The way you're living your life, you're not going to live much longer. And he remembered some of the promises that he made to God when he was in, in, in prison. And he said, listen, if I ever get out, here's how I'm going to live my life. And he wasn't keeping those promises. And he said, you know what? I think I need to make some changes. So he called his nephew, who was a gospel preacher. And his nephew came and taught him the gospel. And he was baptized in a pond behind his house. He went on to send correspondence courses and go to prisons and jails and study with people who were in the penitentiary and in jail. One of the people that he sent a correspondence course to was one of the most notorious serial killers we've known in our time, was Jeffrey Dahmer, who was baptized into Christ. And when a preacher showed up to talk to him about the gospel, he said, my biggest fear was that you would say, you're too evil. I can't teach you. I can't baptize you. But by all accounts, Jeffrey Dahmer obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and was changed. Church, listen. I know you want to love better. I want to love better. But loving better won't happen through just trying harder. You must be converted. Your heart has to become pure. Your conscience has to become clear. Your faith has to become sincere. It reminds me of another man. A man who was a young man, Middle Eastern terrorist, you might say. In fact, he was on his way to a certain region where he knew that there were Christians hiding out. And he was going there to arrest them because at that time, it was legal for him to arrest Christians. He was on his way there and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus a man named Saul of Tarsus, and everything began to change. He went from killing and persecuting and hating Christians to being the man who preached the gospel throughout the known world at the time. Here's what he says in 1 Timothy 1. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He was changed. He was a murderer. And he was converted. Ananias showed up. Saul was laying on the floor and not eating and crying and praying. And he said, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Your problem isn't that you just need to get your act together. Your problem is that you need a conversion. My problem is that I need to be converted. Ongoing, continual. I need to be changed. My heart needs to be purified. My conscience needs to become clear. My faith needs to become more sincere. And maybe somebody here this morning needs to begin that journey. 
through committing your life to Jesus and baptism, or maybe you just need to get back on track, remembering that love is the goal of everything we're doing. It is the goal of Christian teaching and preaching and worship and singing, and everything that we're doing here is to create a community who loves our God, who loves our neighbor, who loves our enemy, because of what Jesus did for the world and for us. Because we've been converted, we love. If we can help you in any way this morning, there's a room in the back. Elders would love to pray with you, meet with you after services. Or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.